architecture in South Australia in Adelaide on Lee Street. And I'm hanging out with an amazing woman from, uh, you're from Brazil, right? Right. Yeah? An architect? Uh, no. Uh, tell, tell, tell me, what's your, what's your name? Yeah, my name is uh, Cecilia. Cecilia. I have a long name, but uh, Cecilia is easier. Okay, okay, cool. We'll go with Cecilia. Or tell, can, I, can, can you tell me your full name? My full name is Maria Cecilia Losquiavo dos Santos. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cool. And um, what are you doing in uh, Adelaide? First of all, I'm enjoying the light of the city uh -huh. because, you know, it's so, so bright, the light, during this time that I'm here now. And uh, it's, it's fascinating. It's something that, uh, you know, is so impressive, the light, and it's so intriguing, the light here for me. It's different to, to where you're from? Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's different, the, 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 the nature of light here. Yeah, uh, the, the nature of light here, um, for me, reminds me a little bit the, 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 the light of Los Angeles, California, where I lived. Uh -huh. And I go many times, I still go. I teach there and I, I did research there. So it's this amazing, intense light that you have here. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, uh -huh. that's, that's the, the, you know, the most impressive thing that, um, you know, I have in this city. And of course, there is a treasure that, uh, you know, is, uh, is the botanic garden uh -huh. right in the middle of the city. Yeah. And for me, that botanic garden, close to a hospital, the first time I came here, a uh, couple of years ago, that I don't recall exactly, I was, I went there, I just came across, I discovered by myself, I, I, I walked from my hotel to the end of the, 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 the road and I discovered the garden. And I discovered a garden close to a hospital. For me, that was a healing garden. And so bright the idea to have the hospital together with the garden. Yeah. Because Earth, in itself has the healing power. Mm -hmm. We came from the earth, we will go back to the earth, and we needed to understand the metabolism. Mm -hmm. I mean, our metabolism in, 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 the, in the universe. Yeah. And, and that and location was so blessed, so special, and it, it still it is, because uh -huh. garden is still there. The garden's still there, it's gonna turn into an art gallery now, hey? Oh yeah, you know that? the hospital. Yeah. The hospital is becoming oh, an art gallery. So art gallery. Yeah. yeah. Seat art gallery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a, uh, it's a new, it's sort of a big new project in Australia, in Adelaide. Yeah. Oh, that's that's lovely to know. Yeah. So not a hospital, but it'll be interesting. Um, Absolutely. And so and so you're here for a conference. Yeah, I'm here you? for I'm making. Uh, I'm making conference 2018. It's a conference that is hosted by uh, University of South Australia, and the the, 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 the academic leader is Professor Robert Crocker, uh -huh. uh, who is you know uh, uh, academic leader and scientific leader. He's a philosopher, and like myself and uh, he's working on waste for a long time, and that is a very relevant issue 
uh, that we have right now uh, across the world. True. Yeah. And you're a... Where, where are you based at the moment? Where do you live normally? Um, normally, I live in Sao Paulo. Uh -huh. I am professor, full professor uh, at the University of Sao Paulo and at the School of Architecture and Urban Planning and also at the Design School uh, of the University of Sao Paulo. Okay. So I teach to design uh, and to architecture and urban planning. And one of my issues is waste. Okay. And so when I asked you before if you're an architect and you said no, did you study architecture? No, or? I study philosophy. Wow, cool. Yeah, okay. I study philosophy and I went to aesthetics where I started 1978 uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> my, my uh, design studies self-taught because there was no master and no PhD on design in Brazil at that time. Right. Yeah. We had our first design school, uh, I mean, undergraduate school created in 1962 and 1963, but uh, only undergraduate. And, you know, there was no PhD. And uh, I could go abroad, but I decided to stay in Brazil, in Sao Paulo, working on Brazilian design. Okay. And I started everything, and I was so fortunate because all furniture designers mm -hmm. that I survey their work were in were alive first of all. Yeah, wow. And they were in Brazil. Wow. So my my work uh, in design started 1978 on Brazilian furniture design. And I could document the whole history of 20th century furniture design in Brazil. Wow. It means that I interview every modern designers in my country. Uh, in what year? That started in 1978, <laughs> and I finished uh, 1993, uh, I finished master and PhD first master and then PhD, and all of them were alive. So I started working mainly in Sao Paulo and Rio de Janeiro, uh -huh. okay? And uh, so uh, it's a long history uh, that Brazil has on uh, wooden craft. Uh -huh. And uh, these guys were really bright. Some, um, we could say, Half of this this number of designers and architects they they immigrated from Europe to mm -hmm. Brazil, mm -hmm. and others are really Brazilians. And uh, well, so, can you tell me some of the? Designers? Yes, I can tell you with great pleasure. <laughs> For example, we have this very early modernist uh -huh. in 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 Brazil, and we received the uh, artists and designers from uh, Switzerland, from Portugal, received from Russia, wow. because they arrived in Brazil early in the 90s, 1910, 1911. Yeah, okay. Uh, due to the war, mm -hmm. they the first world war, they immigrated to Brazil. 
and some of them were artists uh, and could not, you know, work and have uh, clients or customers mm -hmm. for their artwork, and they start making uh, furniture. Uh-huh. Yes. Right, yes, right. as a way of making money. Okay? And uh, then I interview each one of them. I have uh, recording uh, material. I have the interviews. I publish a little bit. I still have, uh, you know, a huge amount to be published that is completely original. And then, uh, you know, step by step, uh, design became, I mean, furniture design became uh, an area where architects started collaborating in Brazil. <laughs> especially uh, after the exhibition, the modern exhibition, the, the, the Brazilian pavilion that was exhibited in, uh, in New York in 1937. Okay. Okay. And at that exhibition uh, in New York, we had two main guys showing Brazilian architecture. Mm -hmm. That means uh, Oscar Niemeyer, mm -hmm. the famous Brazilian yeah, architect, yeah, yeah. and Lucio Costa. So you, you uh, interviewed both of these guys? Of my course. friends. Your friends, all right. You know, they became my friends, <laughs> yeah, all right. of these, because they are my mentors. They wow. were my mentors. What I, amazing mentors. Oh, amazing, amazing, completely. Because so generous, first yeah. of all. And so, you know, so connected to the developing of my country. And that was impressive. Uh, these guys were really citizens, you know, with the full meaning of the word citizenship. You know, they, they invest their time and energy in the development of my country. Mm -hmm. Especially Lucio Costa. Uh, Lucio Costa is the planner of Brasilia, the, the capital of Brazil that yeah. I can tell you a little bit about. And Lucio Costa, since uh, the 30s, when we had the first visit of Le Corbusier, the famous modern architect, uh, European, uh, in, uh, went to Brazil. And, uh, and then Lucio Costa, through this contact, his contact with Le Corbusier, uh, he, he made a revolution in architectural school, in the curriculum of architectural school. Because uh, uh, at the beginning, it was very classical mm -hmm. curriculum. And Lucio Costa came with a new curriculum in the 30s in Rio de Janeiro, because Rio de Janeiro was the capital of Brazil at the federal uh, school, at the national school of architecture, and he changed completely the curriculum. Uh, and then, uh, you know, this new generation of architecture students, some of them graduated and went to furniture. Mm -hmm. And of course, I was fortunate, I met all of these guys, and uh, one of them, uh, of course, a student uh, from Lucio Costa and other architects that were professors at the National School. Uh, it's, it is called the Escola uh, Nacional 
de Belas Artes. And architecture was uh, part of the fine arts school at that time. But okay. then Lucio Costa changed, okay? And I met all these, uh, you know, students that were there and that went to furniture design. And one of them I need to mention, uh, I will mention just two, two very important guys from, from uh, the history of Brazilian uh, furn design furniture. That is uh, Sergio Rodriguez. Okay. Sergio Rodriguez was a student at the school when the curriculum changed. And he's one of the main Brazilian designers with a revolutionary mind completely. And he got awarded in Europe, in Italy, and different places. And uh, you know he had a struggle to to make his production uh, because there was not uh, it was not very clear for the market at that time. Mm -hmm. He started his production at the end of the 50s, yeah. okay, and market was uh, very much conservative. Mm -hmm. And Sergio Rodriguez came with you know new ideas, you know, and uh, he had a difficult time at the beginning, mm -hmm. very difficult. Uh, but then he got the award in Italy and everything changed. And, uh, you know, he... Which award did he win in Italy? In Italy he got, um, I can't recall right now the, the, the yeah. name of the award, but it's award yeah. for furniture. The, yeah, okay? he got, the he got that, that international recognition in the 60s. And then, you know, and then he started his own company uh, and... Uh, It was very carioca, very based in Rio de Janeiro, yeah. you know, intelligentsia and uh, artistic uh -huh. uh, environment, very Ipanema, you know, this. Mm -hmm. And everything was there together, beginning of the 60s. But wow. then we had the dictatorship, 1964, yeah, right. and everything changed in my country. Very, very sad, very difficult, very, very grey moment of history. So to take it that quickly, you, so you met these people because you were studying and then you went on to do your yes. PhD? Yes, And so exactly. you got to meet them through that? And, exactly. But if we go back to when um, Sergio was winning this award and production, yes. you were a kid in Brazil. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I was born in 1953 <laughs> and, uh, and Sergio... Uh, in, in Rio. In Sao Paulo. In Sao Paulo. But, okay. my, but my life during that yeah. time was between Sao Paulo and Rio okay. all the time because guys were in Rio and in Sao Paulo and every time I, I took airplane or, or bus and I went there and I came back with big, you know, batch of photos and um, archive material and it was, you know, a heavy, heavy job for me but full of passion and admiration and I, I was completely aware that the work of these guys I had to record. Wow. That's what I did. <laughs> and I met all of them and of course I, I met Oscar Niemeyer, I was in his office and all of them became certainly my friends. Yeah. My friends. I can't I can't you know hide that because of course as a as a as a scholar you have certain kinds of protocol yourself you know that very well. You were 
studying at Royal Institute in Stockholm. So you know that we need a scholar protocol. But of course, we are not 100% scholar in life. Yeah. At certain points, we are human beings and we became friends. And uh, that's, 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 that was what happened to me and uh, with these uh, historical guys for, you know, world architects such as Lucio Costa and, and, uh, and uh, Oscar Niemeyer. And then I surveyed all these archives, I, I made pictures, interviews, everything, and I met all of them, and uh, I, I told you I, I would speak only about two guys, okay? One is Sergio Rodriguez, he's the author of Poltrona Molly, it's, it's very impressive, uh, because he started a new style and uh, working with what we could say the Brazilian soul, you know? the Brazilian way of being, mm -hmm. the informal way of sitting, and it very much matches the... Okay. That was so a... Sergio Rodriguez, he, he went, you know, very deep in Brazilian soul and mm -hmm. way of living and, uh, you know, things that, that happened at that time, and, uh, and he, he, was able to, he was able to translate that moment in, into pieces of wow. furniture. Wow. Okay, so uh, it's a long history, and I cannot uh, explain everything uh -huh. because it would be very long. We need sure, to go sure. to waste. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so we'll, one bit that I didn't quite catch was um, in the sort of you mentioned in the fifties and the sixties, this amazing sort of like Brazilian atmosphere was happening, and then dictatorship comes yes, in. Yes, yes, it's a strong, it's a strong turning point. Yeah. I was born 1953, so the ship, uh, I was uh, nine years old, 1964, when it started and everything changed completely and we had a very difficult moment in, 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 in the history of my country. And uh, since uh, 1964, until 1988, when we had really the new constitution, okay, then we had freedom, 1988, and things changed through social movements and through social mobilization, okay, and of course, design followed it, because market, you know, uh, market, certain way it, uh, commands, mm -hmm. you know, arts and the design and the everyday life, you know. Uh, so then we had, uh, in the 80s, uh, things changed completely and we had freedom and, of course, design, uh, design got a strong boost and, of course, at that time, uh, we already had uh, many design schools and also uh, graduate programs on design. I myself, I, I struggle in order to build these graduate programs, okay, to afford to young students uh, to keep going with their studies on uh, design. And that's, that's an, also a passionate story about uh, how to build design education in a country such as Brazil. That's another chapter that we could talk. 
long <laughs> conversation. Okay, but going back to furniture, just to close this uh, chapter of my life, uh, I have to mention uh, one guy that uh, we are celebrating next year, 19, uh, 2019, he, uh, he's uh, 100 years. And he's an amazing guy, amazing guy, José Zanini Caldas. He passed away many years ago, but he was, uh, I have, uh, uh, you know, a huge amount of, uh, of materials of his archive, and he became my friend. And Zanini is so important guy, and uh, this is a chapter of my life that will connect to what I do nowadays and will connect us to sustainable issues. Because Zanini, um, he did not go to any... Uh, University. He just had the basics. And then uh, he was born in south of Bahia, in the city of Belmonte. It's a beautiful beach, you know, south of Bahia. And then he went to Rio de Janeiro and to Sao Paulo. And he started working with plywood uh, in the 50s, uh, making models for architects because he was. He had such a, a great hand skills, okay? And then uh, he was a model uh, maker for architects. And all the models for Brasilia, for the buildings that Oscar Niemeyer designed, he uh, made the models of all these buildings. And of course, he was very, he was very, uh, you know, proud of himself. And he, he <laughs> commented to me, Cecilia, I made Oscar, you know, ch change his mind about this piece of yeah. that building and this, and that's through my models. He said this kind of thing to me, you know, and uh, he, he was such an important guy. Uh, and then, you know, from this familiarity and his, you know, uh, because he was genius with his hands, he started working with making uh, furniture uh, in plywood, real pieces of furniture. But then, very concerned about the discarded material when you cut mm. the plywood. He was concerned about the discarded materials in plywood, and then he created this company. But he, he was a very difficult person, and he had a partner, and, uh, you know, he had a problem with that, his partner. And then he closed the, the factory. He put fire in his drawings because he said, no one will repeat what I already created. And he finished, you know, uh, his company. And then he started a new chapter of his life. And he went to Bahia again, to his native state. Uh, and he started working with canoe makers and the wood uh, that was explored by wooden company and they just cut and a lot of discarded, you know, good wood and good pieces of trees. And Zanini started working with these heavy pieces of wood. So completely the opposite of what he started in the 50s, 
this this part of his life that I'm referring to is about 1970s, okay? But the main issue was discarded materials. Mm -hmm. uh, sustainability is something that did not happen at, at the concept in itself uh, at that time. Because sustainability was a concept that first was formulated in Stockholm in a meeting that uh, uh, Brundtland, the minister of, of Norway, uh, formulated that concept in an international meeting in, in Stockholm. I think it was 1972 or, or, or something like that. I, I don't recall exactly these dates uh, precisely. Uh, but that, that concept did not exist at all in Brazil at that time, okay? Of course, we had one very nice professor from my university that was there in Stockholm for that conference. It's a guy that uh, his specialty is bees. He's a biologist and his specialty is bees. He studies uh, bees' behavior and all this kind of, of stuff, okay? And, uh, and then Zanini was completely committed to sustainability and to these poor people that live uh, at the beach, mm -hmm. you know, in the city where he was born. And he was working with these canoe makers making furniture. But because he also has this big attachment to architecture, he started also making architecture out of this kind of pieces of wood that he he he, he was working, and uh, you know these guys from that area called Belmonte uh, illiteracy is very present. They mm -hmm. they don't know how to write and to count, and Zanini developed a methodology, you know, just making drawings. Uh, on the ground, maybe also at the sand, explaining, make the pieces, okay, and then put all these pieces that these canoe makers made in a truck and send to Rio de Janeiro and to Sao Paulo, and then assemble houses, incredible houses. I, I have some photos. I can show, I can share with you. Oh. Yeah. And you know, uh, building these houses in these wow. two estates. He, he was a genius, I can tell you, and he, he had such important role, uh, I mean, social role for that small community, okay? And that's the, the meaning of sustainability at that time did not exist in the full concept that we have right now. But Zanini in itself, in himself, at the end, at this, this part of his life, he was practicing sustainability from social and environmental mm -hmm. perspective. What for us in a country such as Brazil is so important until now. Because of course we need to think about our natural resources, but we have to think at the same way, with the same strength, at our human resource. And that's what 
the main was the main lesson that Zanini, you know, gave to us. So that is to just to end the chapter of furniture because it's a very long story and uh, it's better cut. <laughs> just <laughs> add it to it. <laughs> wow, what a story. Okay. All right. So with what you learned from Zanini, <laughs> like what did you then go on to do? Did you have you been you've been teaching kids this philosophy at university? Yes, you? that's what I teach to my students. Wow! I uh, teach to my students social and environmental sustainability. Incredible! That's what I do. Uh, you know, I'm not doing now, but my assistants are working with me with a group of students. They had class on Monday, okay? Uh, every Monday afternoon, mm -hmm. we are working uh, from this perspective. Okay. Okay? So, uh, I started this uh, elective discipline that I'm showing here at the exhibition, some products. Okay. I started uh, many years ago. I don't recall exact, exactly numbers right now. Uh, working uh, with a group of waste pickers mm -hmm. that we call catadores. Catadores. These are guys that uh, make money out of our waste. Uh -huh. They just collect, okay, across the city, across Brazilian cities, not only Sao Paulo. Mm -hmm. We have one million catadores across the country. Yeah, well. Yeah. So, because they, they lost their jobs and because of their deprived status, they have created another economy. This is an economy. Because capitalism does not see value uh, in, in, at the beginning, capitalism did not see value in waste. Mm -hmm. But these guys, due to their deprived status, due to their uh, hunger status, you know, they need to create something to overcome their, their level of difficulties in life. And they have created this economy out of trash. They transform the trash into very valuable resource. But what kind of things? So, uh, I, I have to explain you this story because it's, it's very important before uh, answer how they transform. So, uh, from furniture, uh, I start paying attention to a process that of discarded pieces of furniture in public space. That was right after my PhD. I presented my PhD in 1993, and then I started looking at these pieces of furniture still in front of me, but in public space. Could not understand quite well because I knew the story. I knew how hard it was for Brazil to get access to technology to produce these pieces. And then, 1993, you know, I was looking at that the technology discarded on public space of my city. Something was wrong for me. Something I could not understand. And I wrote the first 
the first, very first paper uh, close to the eyes, far from the reason. Close to the eyes? Far from the reason. Far from the reason, okay. The reason, uh -huh. okay? Aspects of design in public space. Start looking at public space as the, the place where discarded materials, especially discarded pieces of furniture, were in there. I think that was technology and furniture. But then I went close. And it was not only technology and furniture, it was also human life. Because homeless people uh -huh. start um, assembling their habitats out of trash. Wow. And they create. And I will show something during my lecture, uh -huh. my keynote. I will show some images. I, I can show you. Sure, sure. And I don't have here, of course. Um, actually, I have a pen drive. We can go to a computer. I can show you. And then I start looking at these habitats in Sao Paulo. And I was completely, you know, mad. I started new documentation of how they assemble their, you know, houses. I mean, this informal habitat on the streets, okay? Then I start working and I got the invitation to go to California, to UCLA, where I also work on homeless encampments and habitats in Los Angeles and Hollywood. And then I got the invitation to go to Tokyo, where I did the same in Tokyo. And then we had a big group of scholars working together from, from four countries, France, Brazil, Japan, and, California, and the US, okay? And then we published the chapters, we did a conference and all this kind of stuff. And because I worked so close to these homeless uh, communities across the world, especially in my city, okay, uh, this community of homeless guys in Sao Paulo, they became my friends because every day going there, working, interviewing, making documentaries and all kinds of things that you also do, uh, then they introduced me to their way of living. And they explained to me that they made money out of trash. And that's what I tell you. It was uh, in the 80s. I was not with them at that time because I still was working on furniture. I was finishing my furniture research. And uh, in the 80s, they would like to have a party because that is Brazilian mind, okay? They would like to have a religious party for celebrate... Uh, what, what, what do you use for... Uh, how do you call it? Uh, it is Pasqua, it's uh, Passover, it is um, uh, uh -huh. Easter, Easter, uh -huh. Uh -huh. okay? In April or May, uh, when we celebrate... Because we are Catholic uh, country, mm -hmm. we celebrate when Jesus was... Um, uh, you know, Jesus was killed and then he came back. Yep. That's Pasqua. 
that's Easter, or uh, in, 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 in Jewish religion, is Passover. Uh -huh. Okay, so we celebrate that, and this homeless small community uh, in downtown Sao Paulo, they would like to celebrate Easter. And they had the idea to collect newspaper because they didn't have any money to celebrate, okay? And they collected newspaper, and they sold the newspaper, and they made a little budget, and they could afford their, 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 their party, their religious celebration. And to buy something to eat and to share among their small community, okay? And then they, they, they had the feeling that uh, collecting trash, they could make money. And that's what they started collecting, collecting as homeless guys in downtown area of Sao Paulo. It's been so amazing chatting with you. Um, you're such an energetic and enthusiastic <laughs> person. Um, I say the same to you, you are passionate. <laughs> um, I, just to wrap it up, uh -huh. the, like maybe you have a, um, uh, some wisdom that you would like to pass on to, you know, the future generations, but also anybody out there. Um, like, what, what are you optimistic about the future? And, um, you know, where, where do you think we should? Is it is it our problem? Is it someone else's problem? Should it's it's our problem absolutely uh, in Adelaide, in São Paulo, in Stockholm, or in Nehua, a small city in Sweden. So. Um, we needed to, we needed to take very seriously what we we got from from the earth, and uh, what we will pass to future generation, mm -hmm. and this future generation that will take care of uh, the universe. Uh, we needed to to understand, and uh, maybe the wisdom is with them, not no more with us. Yeah. Uh, wisdom is uh, with my my grandsons. They are two and five, Marcello and Rodrigo. They they know much more about the world. They are much more uh, these these young kids. They are much more vital about uh, the issue of conservation uh, of resource of resource conservation. They are very committed. We had a, a severe drought in Sao Paulo City two years ago, lack of water, and kids, young kids, they were so aware about that. They get it more, don't they? Of course. The, you know what's interesting with that, though, as well, is like sometimes we do just push it off to the future. <laughs> sometimes we say, you know what? Our kids will work it out. <laughs> and, and sometimes, you know, like, I mean, I kind of look at... It's been, it's been a big shock in Australia about the whole plastics situation, but I think it's a good kick in the ass too, is that why are we waiting... You know, like, why can't we have zero-waste cities now? You know, not, not in 10 years' time or in 20 years' time. But tomorrow, yes. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean. Just yes. ban waste. You know, it's yes. like change it. Like you know, and I think that I think it's extremely important that we focus on the future and yes. the future generations. Yeah. But sometimes I'm sort of like, our own behavior has to change immediately. Yeah. Immediately. Yeah. Uh, it takes time. Yeah. Uh, it takes you know um, a great dialogue with politicians. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, NGO and uh, schools, uh, you know, but uh, we need to be uh, together mm -hmm. to face this problem. I think that's a good point, uh, together, because I, I think sometimes, like, um, you know, people look at um, behaviour change and they think, ah, oh, if I stop buying things in plastic, I'm just one person, what does that matter? Um, then if, you know, someone looks at, you know, you look at businesses or you can blame it on the government and, you know, like I, my point of view is that we all need to be part of it. Um, yeah. But I think um, it's happening slowly still. <laughs> and it's like, so one little example that I had was I worked with a university and on waste and um, the students... They're trying to help some of the tenancies to actually use less waste. Uh -huh. um, and they asked the tenancies, what do you think about going zero waste? And they actually came back and said, great, we're starting to lose business because the students are, are not buying from us because we're <laughs> wrapped in plastic. So the students have power. Yeah, yeah. And, so, and all, all consumers, hey. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's why we need to be together. In, and to make people aware of their behavior. Yeah. And, uh, that's and it's, it's so, and that's the thing with your story. It's so amazing about you know the the people with the least power in the country create power from yes. from nothing. Yes, that's the point. Not only in Brazil but everywhere. All these four countries that we have been working with, that mean uh, France, uh, Brazil the United States and Japan, these, you know, very deprived people, they have the power to at least to make visible how to transform waste uh, in, uh, in a habitat. Well, and what, if people want to look up this stuff, like what is this collective, the four, four countries that combine to do I, that? I, What's will the show in my, okay. I will show in my keynote cool. uh, lecture. Okay. And I have here the exhibition of my students' work uh, with the collectors. Okay. Some of this material will be displayed in a slideshow here at Odaza. Okay, great. And this, this like alliance of France, uh, Sweden, United States and Brazil is that is there a name for that? Oh, uh, that is uh, that was a consortium mm -hmm. of uh, many universities together, uh, University of São Paulo and uh, UCLA and uh, and uh, university in Japan that uh, right now I don't recall and uh, INSEAD that's Institute of demographic studies in, in Paris, that uh, a lady, that a professor that works with uh, homeless people in, in, in Paris. And we published, we presented at different conferences, we published papers, and uh, we had an exhibition uh, in, in Los Angeles at the Fowler Museum of Cultural History that I don't recall exactly, I think 1999. Okay. Okay, so we are still sharing this, this amount of knowledge that we have assembled, uh, each one of us. Wow. And a group of uh, uh, scholars from different areas, mm -hmm. sociologists, uh, demography scholars, uh, lawyers, and the design, 
uh, all together, we had this team working and listen, especially listen to these stories that are stories of survival and transformation. And for many of them, it's transformation of waste in survival skill. Wow. That, wow. that is something else. That's incredible. That's incredible. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. I think we'll end it there. Thank you so much. Thank you.